right, Jackson. Here we are apologizing again. Find <laughs> ourselves apologizing. <laughs> Sorry. Two times in a month. You know what I want to do just as kind of a welcome back little gift to everyone? It's sort of like a token to pay back being gone. I want to treat everyone to a little bit of auditory delight. I want you to guess what this sound is. Can you hear that? I can hear it. <laughs> that's what long whiskers sound like when they get rubbed together on the microphone. So that's, that's my gift to you all. All right. <laughs> With that. Here we go. What was the timestamp on that so I can make sure it's all edited <laughs> out? Uh, yeah, it's been, it has been super busy. You know, that seems to be the flow of our life. It just seems to be the, I mean, you don't realize sometimes how busy you are until you're trying to make something like this fit in all the time. Yeah, it feels like it's been exceptional. The past, <laughs> the past few weeks, though. Yeah. Exceptionally busy. I don't know if you felt the same, or has it just been me that's been on? Um, See, this is how this just came off to me. I'm going to tell you how you made me feel. Okay. Made it feel like you're saying, well, we're always busy. So if you're saying it's busy, then this is all kind of your fault that we weren't recording. <laughs> oh, I see. So. <laughs> Our lives are equally immersed in busyness. There we go. Okay. Yeah. I feel, feel better. <laughs> so, you know, well, we're always saying too, that the hard part of this is that, and we're, and we're working on this. this is something we're working on, trying to figure out a way to, I think we have a product that people enjoy but trying to figure out a way how to, you know, to, to, to monetize it basically. And there's been some interesting stuff in the news this last week or so with different influencers, people figuring out ways to get sponsorships, massive sponsorships. And, you know, we, we're not going to dive into that, but if you think back to what I'm talking about, your hair is the longer of the both of us. So I'm wondering if you should think about sacrificing kind of, Maybe think about letting your hair down and transitioning into. Are you, are you talking like a Pantene Pro V type sponsorship? I, I'm seeing in the news that you get about any kind of sponsorship. Anyone seems to want to lay hold of this, this, this deal. Hmm. So you might just think about letting the hair down a little bit. I hadn't. That crossed your mind. I hadn't, that hadn't crossed my mind. Some, I'm just looking at some of the numbers of the sponsorship. It's just strictly like I'm not taking a take on the issue. Just strictly looking at the business model, like. Hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, letting your hair down. Huh. Well, I, I mean, to all the listeners, I have to imagine that most of anyone listening to this now would appreciate a good solid 30 to 40 minutes of advertisement sponsorship ads <laughs> before we actually <laughs> got into anything. Right. I know that the podcast I listen to, that's my favorite part is when, when they say, well, now a quick word from our sponsors. <laughs> a and quick then, word. <laughs> then, 15 minutes later, I'm still listening to sponsorship ads. I get it though. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you're, you know, you're trying to, trying to put something out there and yet to take away from, you know, where other income comes, you gotta, you gotta balance it. So I understand the need for sponsors. I hope all of you guys understand that too. If <laughs> yeah. we ever get sponsors. Yep. You're gonna, yeah. Yeah. They'll just, I'm like you, I have a new appreciation for it. And I find myself letting them play through. I actually, instead of skipping them, I'm like, podcast I like, all right. Nobody knows whether I'm listening or not, but I, I let it roll through the sponsorship now because I kind of feel the, I feel it. Yeah. Well, rest assured listeners, when and if we ever get sponsors, it's going to be stuff that we have not been approached a week beforehand. I said, Hey, try this out and we'll give you a sponsorship. <laughs> it will, it will be things. For instance, I think we're going to work with Hotshot Secret at some point. Mm -hmm. We talked about them a few times. Yep. Product that you and I both use, multi-year use. We're going to work with them at some point. Yep. So, you know, if anyone, 
anyway, we're, we're kind of spinning, spiraling out of control it's here. It's all right. We've got a lot to catch up on. Yeah. So with me, the way that I have my little livestock set up here is I have one big pasture that I do everything on. I winter on that pasture. I calve on that pasture. I graze all summer on that pasture. If there's a lot of excess of grass, I get hay from that pasture. So when Springtime, the, the grass has really started growing the past, I don't know, two, three weeks here, really taken off. When it does that, I have to get all the cattle off of the pasture because they're going to just chase and, and damage that really kind of fragile grass that's just wanting to take off. But also before that grass gets growing, I have accumulated a decent amount of semi-composted manure straw bedding. And so you, you try and get that all spread out on the field before the grass takes off. So I've been trying to do all that. All three of the kids, twins, and then our six-year-old all went through a nice little bouts of sickness. And then our six-year-old, who needs very little sleep, just disappeared for, <laughs> for about four days. He just he was asleep for four days. <laughs> and then the twins responded the opposite direction as they decided not to sleep for they went from like more four than four days. <laughs> they went from their three hours of <laughs> sleep to no hours. Yeah. So, so that was just, I mean, all that. And then I, I had to travel last week for that education course that I missed due to that snowstorm we talked about. Because of the flight. Yeah. So that I, I, I went down and did that again this last week. And then when you, when I'm going to be gone for multiple days, I do have to create a buffer zone of a bunch. I get, you know, all the animals fed more, everything hopefully be okay for me gone for a couple of days. So. I legitimately was out of time. So did you go down to Arizona to actually educate or did you find yourself using it as a moment to just sleep? <laughs> did you just sleep for three days? I did educate, but I, I will tell you the nights down there, the, the first night that I slept was the first night in over 10 months that I have had more than three hours of a continuous sleep. Really? Yeah. Ugh. It's been, I, it's been a, a, a brutal I mean, to anyone out there who has ambitions for having twins. We, we kind of did. Haley and I, you know, Haley's, uh, we got one coming here in a few weeks and we had found ourselves kind of, you know, thinking, you know, this might be cool. Just this is going to be number five. This would just make it five and six all at once. You have other I, advice? No, I, not that you can advise on twins. So I, but. I love these babies and I <laughs> never would not want to have these two humans in our family. Yeah. That being said, I would never wish twins on anyone. And I would never, ever want to go through it again. <laughs> and if I could go back in time and break it into two different ones, absolutely. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, so hard. And yeah, anyone who says, oh, that looks funny. That's, ooh. <laughs> and the thing about it is I have not found a single person who has had twins that doesn't say the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they have a, you know, a, a mother or a mother-in-law or something who comes in and takes over the whole operation. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't have that, that outside, someone consistently and constantly helping, ooh. Yeah, I, I'm still not sure I'm going to survive it. And there's a no, there's a no return policy. No return policy. <laughs> you know, actually, speaking of no return policies, can I tell you a story about a warranty? Yeah. Yeah? Hey, I had a couple things happen on my my trip. Do you want oh to yeah, do those let's first? do that. Let's do that. And then I want to, I want to tell you about this warranty thing. These aren't anything amazing. Just a couple, 
Well, yeah, I, these might not even be worth listening to. So if you don't need to fast forward. <laughs> First was on my flight from Phoenix to Salt Lake coming home. I got a exit seat, which mm-hmm. gives you that extra leg room. Mm-hmm. You're setting not yeah. the exit, but the, the emergency exit. The side, yeah, you get twice the leg room, but no reclining. Which you can't recline anymore anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's... It's like the ultimate no-no. I'm not going to say any of them. Everyone probably knows it. Words that our parents use that were just fine that you can't use anymore. <laughs> you know, as time goes on, just things change. Reclining your seat in an air, airplane is something you can't do anymore. You didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, See, in here, I thought I was learning new rules of flight as I've been flying so much this year with NASCAR. I've thought, like, I'm becoming one of those traveler types where you, like, you can just tell, like, well, this guy knows his stuff. Have you been reclining? <laughs> oh, every time. So, he, every time. you're going to end up in a fight at some point. <laughs> like, that's what, that's what half of these internet videos are now, is fights this stuff and airplanes and reclining. Over reclining. But with your hair a little bit longer, I actually I actually saw a video that was killing me. <laughs> Lady had reclined and those seats are so the problem is how the seats are so close and so tight that when you recline, I mean it's an instant, yeah. In fact, like some of these flights, one of the flights I was on now, I was sitting fully back in my seat and my knees were touching the seat ahead of me. If the person would have reclined, <laughs> they first of all, they couldn't, they wouldn't have been able to because my they would have hit my knees. <laughs> If, and if they persisted, it would have been really uncomfortable for me, which I, I'm not sure how I would have responded. <laughs> it might have been an internet fight. <laughs> anyway, so this, there's a lady reclining and there was a lady being reclined on. Okay. And the one being reclined on had asked her to not and the other lady just didn't care. But if she stayed reclined, her long hair came over the top of the seat Ooh. down into her space into the space of the reclined on lady mm-hmm. and the so reclined, not only she reclined on she has hair dangling onto her tray so she, with so her she started on she turned her recorder on and started recording herself putting gum in the hair <laughs> taking like her coffee in her all her drinks and like dipping the hair in it she's recording herself yeah. doing this and then she's ratting it up oh, and putting gum oh, and ratting geez. it she was like going crazy on this hair oh which it was really really funny yeah it was really funny but so i don't know i mean it's like the gloves are off when it comes to reclining. It's a gray area too. Like, I don't even think it's a gray area where you just don't. Well, you don't recline. They recline. I mean, they're made to recline. They're made to, but I think it's a remnant. Ooh. It's a remnant of of so, less, less progressive days. Did anything? <laughs> did, did anything happen upon her waking up? Not the video and just, it just the video for Sean to <laughs> do all the stuff that was there. So. <laughs> I've learned a few tricks from flying, actually. Do you want me to? Well, not yet. Let me finish okay. this. Okay. But there are, there are things you can do to stop the chair ahead of you from reclining. There's ways you can set your tray and wedge things <laughs> in that I've seen. Okay. People like hacks you can do to keep people from reclining on Let's you. Let's hear it. I don't, I don't remember. Uh-huh. Oh, but anyway, so I was, I was in this, this exit row seat. And I've sat next to row seats since the normal chair, just more, more room in yeah, front of you. Yeah, you get like a foot of extra space. So I get in there. And my seat looks like a little kid's high chair. <laughs> like it's about a third narrower than all the other seats on the plane. And, and it's, it's got like maybe seven inch, just straight metal sides going up that I have to. I've never seen that. Never seen it ever. And so I, like when I sit down the, the sides of my, like my hips, like I rub in going down. So I'm like really wedged in. I'm like, ah, 
So I'm sitting there, and then the chair right next to me has all the leg room, but it's a normal chair. And the biggest guy on the whole flight, <laughs> by far the biggest guy, comes and sits into me. And he's so he's so big. And I don't mean like like he's just this obese monster. Just a big friend, like dude. A big, he was a just a big dude. <laughs> but he's he sits in his chair, but he's so big everywhere that just like his thighs and his butt go up higher than that little seven inch or whatever Do they thing spill that, over it. So it kinda? spills over the top of mine. So I'm like, so he's like, so I'm like, God, I'm wedged into this. And now it's like, I'm locked in by this other guy's body going over the top of it. And I'm like, I'm, I would consider myself maybe bigger size than average. Yeah. Like, I know six, one, like two thirty five. I'm not tiny. But I felt like I was just this little kid tucking in next to like he was, his dad. He was that big. And then the way he was spilling over on me. And then and I'm like, I'm like, was super tired because I had to get up like at 2.30 to make my flight. And, um, and I was like, man, like if I fall asleep and my head even moves an inch, I want to be leaning <laughs> on him. on him. It's like, <laughs> it's like I can hardly even the whole time. I'm like, oh man, I hope it because like, I don't, I don't have any, any room to even have my head lull at all. Like a lot of times if you, you have to go like half a seat over to even start to even think about is this, I'm talking like an inch and I'm like laying on this guy. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if I did. I fell asleep. So I don't know if it actually happened or not. If it did, he, did, he, he held me gently, I guess. If I did. You know, I've had that uh, one time on a flight, I had the person next to me fell asleep and kind of leaned on the shoulder. And I was at first, I was like, oh, they might not like this if they wake up and see their, and then I was like, nah, they're tired. I'll just let them rest. I don't, it didn't bother me. <laughs> who knows yeah I, yeah who knows I'm you're just of, milking your last couple hours of sleep before you got home yeah yeah so that I've, yeah i've never seen a seat like that you know a fun little tidbit about airplanes that i've noticed is you know they always use the seat by zones or whatever when you you kind of wait is it the jetway that's called the jetway right that connects to the airplane i think they call it a jetway yeah and you're always stand there kind of in the doorway of the airplane you can kind of see through the cracks and see the ground a little bit Right there on the door, the actual airplane door, it like slides over. There's a tag on every airplane right there that tells you when they were made. And you cannot believe how old some of the airplanes are that are flying around the country. The oldest one that I saw was 1999. Huh. Like a commercial daily driving. And I know, I mean, I know it's not obviously, it's not original. Like they totally go through, but the airframe itself, 1999. So every time. I probably should not look and you probably shouldn't, but you're all going to find yourself doing this now. You'll look and be like, oh, wow, this, this thing's 20 some years old. <laughs> so this is, this is what comes to mind. You're, you're not happy about the old airframe of your airplane, yet you actively seek out the old frames for your semis. For my semis, right? <laughs> Maybe I should start looking at it that way. I think it's because I, I watched a YouTube special on like some channel. It's like airline disasters. And there was some old airplane in Hawaii that had been doing island hops like for for like 25 years and it never got apparently never got inspected properly and the walls weakened enough part of the airplane like depressurized and ripped they made a movie about it, an old movie in the 80s or something where like flight attendants and people got sucked out of the airplane and the investigation can and they landed and everybody else survived but they found out it was because the airframe was so old it had just kind of thinned out and everything got weak so when I climbed aboard the old 1999 Boeing, I was like, ah, it's, you know, this might be time to 
So I, I I'm, your story's got to, I'm curious about that story. I kind of want to pick it apart. Does that offend you if I do? The Hawaii story? Yeah. No, you can watch it on YouTube. Well, so, all right. No, I, I believe that. Okay. But this is, well, I don't, I don't maybe this isn't picking apart, but some things jumped out to me when you're saying it. <laughs> so they said the airframe was so old. It had so many flight hours But they it. actually made a movie about this in the 80s. Yeah, I think it was. So well, they made I remember a movie about it in the, the 80s. When I was young. No, I mean, it was probably the 90s because so, I was young. But So my, my Let's point say though is if, it, if the movie was made in the 80s, that means that the accident happened previous to that. Yeah, I think the accident happened in the early 80s. And then that means that the airframe would have been like... My numbers might be off. One of those World War One <laughs> glider <laughs> It wasn't. It, it, it didn't seem that old. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to send you... I'll find it. I'll send you the link and you can one of these times. You can, you can check it out. I, my, my, my years are probably off. But any of you aviation enthusiasts probably know the story I'm talking about. I'm going to look it up. Air Hawaii. The flight attendant lost her life. And then when I was, I had a layover on the way down there in Salt Lake. It was like three hours. So I was sitting there working on some stuff. And it was kind of a, a cul-de-sac little waiting area. It was like the end of the wing. Yeah, where yeah. you got all the, you know, so everyone kind of ends up there. And I was watching... You come off of the main hallway where all the, where all like the restaurants or stores are, and that's a like tile floor. And then you cross on the carpet and you're into the waiting area where everyone, all the seats are. And I was sitting there facing the, facing the, the tile walkway that comes in. And there's a dad, there was a dad that just stepped across onto the carpet and he had, he must have had this little girl, three or four years old, and then also an infant in a car seat type carrier thing. And they stepped right across that and that little girl just blew up, vomited everywhere on that carpet. On the carpet. <laughs> just, just missed the tile no. over on the carpet. And so she, she instantly, you know, starts crying and he sets the baby down and he's, he's trying to, clean it up with whatever he has on hand and then as he's cleaning it up i noticed the little girl starts freaking out she she wet her pants right oh, <laughs> because of all the commotion so this poor guy i don't i only watched for a for a very short amount of time because i could completely sympathize did you just yell hey it could be worse you could have twins <laughs> well i sat there yeah i should have <laughs> I sat there watching. I don't feel sorry for you. But it was person after person walk by him and just look down and have the most like gross look out on their face. Yeah. I'm like, what? what you? Like, yeah. no one says, hey. So I, I, I got up and walked over and said, hey, can I do anything to help? And yeah, he was desperate for it. Yeah. He was good. just, good just someone because he, he's desperate to, for someone to do something. Because if I, I'm thinking if I was in that situation, I've got like, Two like wet wipes, maybe. I'm yeah. trying to clean up a pile of vomit. It's not near adequate. I can't get up and go find napkins and leave my kids here. <laughs> but at the same time, if I get up and take my kids to do it, I've like abandoned this vomit pile, which <laughs> everyone's like, that's the guy. <laughs> he's he's so, you're like, yeah. so I was like, man, he's he's probably just like, and so I I went and got a bunch of clean stuff for him and to, you know, and uh, good for you, man. That was good. But uh, point is not like, hey, look at me. No, but like help out. Be, My like, point is be a solution. People, if you see someone struggling, especially if it's like a, one person with multiple little kids and you can see the wheels have completely come off the yeah. bus. Yeah. Just, you know, don't crowd them because you don't want to freak them out, especially if it's a single mom. But 
from a little distance say, hey, can I help with anything here? And it's amazing how often they like, you just see this instant relief in their face. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> this might, this might work out. Oh, for sure. At the very least, don't give them dirty looks. Jeez. I can't stand that. Yeah. Like they're, like they're grossed out that this little kid vomited on the lake. Yeah. Like you can have a four-year-old or three-year-old can help it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's, oh yeah. I, I, you, <laughs> oh. But that guy was just, yeah. Oh, he was very patient, very kid. calm though. I'll say that. Yeah. Very patient, very calm with those, those kids. <laughs> Have you noticed just another thing that I always get a kick out of now, and I've changed my stance as I fly more. When you board the plane, you have to walk through the first class. Mm-hmm. Like it's like all the peasants get paraded through the first class section. And that's kind of what I am now. Like people are like, so you, you know, where do you fly? I'm like, oh, peasant class, like just in the back with the people, you know. And it, it's always funny because it's first class, and and you, and you stop there. It's not like you just walk through first class. Like you're waiting for people, so you're standing in the aisle of the first class. And I used to just kind of keep my eyes down and mind my business. But now I kind of like to do the, like the walk of shame. Like I'll look at and try to catch someone's eye and give them like the, I'm a, I'm a lowly, I'm a lowly <laughs> peasant look. <laughs> and, and nobody ever wants to look at you. It's so mm. funny. I, I don't get why in first class. I'm like, why do you make first class people board first and endure the peasant parade? Like, why don't they do the peasants in the back? Get me, get me loaded up. And then very last is like, okay, first class, you're the last people on the plane. You're the first people off. That's what flying should be is the briefest, quickest. It's like, just, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but you have to, but on the flip side, that means they're going to have to stay out there in the loading area with all the peasants. It's much longer. (laughs) That's true. The little kids that are thrown up on the carpet. (laughs) They should have like a tent, I think, for the first class people. (laughs) So this, (laughs) I should say this too, early morning flights, I like to have the window seat because I can lean against, since it's inappropriate to lean, recline your chair, I can lean my head against the side of the plane. I can't believe you're telling me not to ever recline again. I'm so disappointed about that. Uh, But what happens in the back of the plane, you know, who knows? Go ahead, recline. Yeah. Uh, But (laughs) so inevitably... I go to get in my window seat and there's two people sitting in the middle and aisle already. And I, it baffles me that they don't load planes from the, the windows out. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Cause people are cause always like, getting in the aisle. Like zone one. Yeah. Zone one loading. That should always be the window. Just seats. All window seats. Everyone. Window zone two front middle back. seat zone three aisle seat. <laughs> That's a good point. I, you know, I'm sure a lot of it's tied into your, cause they have like seven different levels they've got. I don't medallion emerald, yes. platinum, silver, star commander, sky priority. Yeah, I mean, there's they go through like yeah. seven of them, <laughs> and then then finally, you know, the normal zones, and by that comes the whole plane's almost loaded. <laughs> on my way down to on my way down to Phoenix, my my window seat had two two bigger people in them, and it was husband and wife. The husband's in the middle seat, and wife was in the aisle, and she wedged herself under her armrest in the seat in front trying to get out so like get in <laughs> she's like stuck she couldn't get out you know <laughs> you're in this thing like you do you offer do you offer to help i'm gonna pull <laughs> like you know do you offer to help or do you just everyone kind of just stands there while she's wedged and kind of you know kind of yeah. flailing trying to get out which 
I don't know what's worse. Do you just everyone sitting watching or, or offering to help? I don't know. Oh, and with this was before this was before you helped the father, right? So you may have been in a helpful mood. This was after because this, oh, yeah, this so was you were after. definitely in a helpful mood. You were like, hey, I just helped this guy. I'm a helping dude. Want me to help get you out of there? <laughs> I, I mean, my other favorite one I've noticed is the the flight attendants are like, please put your overhead bags this way into the into the thing you can fit four of them per thing if you do it this way and people just walk up and throw it in there long ways i'm like do you just just look just look at the compartment like yeah slide it this way and we can all have a spot <laughs> the last i have i guess now i'm remembering all this stuff from the flights and another one <laughs> so from salt lake to great falls uh-huh. smaller flight quick one and quick small one and they pat the, you know they go down with drinks and a little snack or whatever and, and beforehand I think the the flight attendant over the intercom like four times. We only have water, tea, or coffee. <laughs> yeah, we only have water, tea, or coffee. She like four That's announcements. It. We only have water, <laughs> tea, or coffee. And as she started going, I kept hearing people. Do you have Coke? <laughs> Do you have Sprite? Do you have orange juice? Again, water. T- and so, <laughs> so when she got to me, I was like. I was like, is it even worth making that announcement four times? Because <laughs> you know, she probably appreciated that you listened. Dude, I figured out a great snack hack. Okay. And it, I, was a little, I was a little tentative to use this. But once I used it now, I've got all the confidence in the world. And it's like my new thing. I did it two flights in a row and it works. So now it's like my jam. You know, for the longest time, I think it was Delta had the Biscoff cookies. Yeah. Just, I don't even, they're like a ginger flavor or something. I don't. That's the only place you can get them as far as I know. And it's like, oh, it's a Delta flight. Give me a Biscoff cookie. And the packaging is like, a delightfully curious taste. So that was kind of the thing forever. And all the other airlines, their snacks is like mm-hmm, pretzels and whatever. But I flew United home from Charlotte this last time. And United is the new, in my mind, they're the new undisputed heavyweight king of flight snacks. They come up with this chocolate quinoa some kind of cookie sounds real floofy and weird tastes delicious hmm. you know and of course because it says quinoa everyone thinks like oh it's got to be probably healthy probably healthy for you so my last flight you know if you remember my story where i was all behind and almost missed my jam i was starving i didn't eat and all this so i'm i'm utilizing every every snack i can find on the flight because because i'd have very short layovers and i'm behind so anyway i i i noticed <laughs> I noticed on my first flight from Charlotte to Denver that somebody next to me said, can I have two cookies, please? And I was like, huh. Hmm. And, and they didn't even blink. They're just like, yeah, here you go. And they gave him two. And I was like, and I was like, just give me a cookie. But the whole time I was kind of like mad at myself because I'm starving. I'm like, why didn't, why didn't I ask for two? So anyway, I eat my little snacks. It's a long flight. I get to Denver. We reboard from Montana. And... I'm, you know, I get boarded with the, my seatmate. The dude immediately just passes out of sleep. He's zonked. So when the the snack wagon comes by again, and I've had one of these quinoa cookies now, and I'm like, oh, Biscoff is like, give me a chocolate quinoa. So they come down the aisle, and I'm like, hey, can I, sorry to bother. Can I get can I get two of those? And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, and there was a few empty seats on the flight. So they're, it's late at night. So they're pretty free with their snacks. She gives me my two. And I said, hey, one more. 
could you give me one more for him for when he wakes up? I think he'll be hungry. <laughs> She's like, yeah, sure. So she gives me a third one. Third one, Loomis. I got three of these cookies on my flight. Did I give it to the guy? No. Did I eat it? Yes. I, now look, I know, I know. I'm just trying to get my money's worth out of the flight. I was starving, but to any of you frugal, trashy, peasant travelers out there like myself, just remember, you can ask for two if you ask nice. And if you have a sleeping seatmate, <laughs> I think my whole, my whole incredulity, incredulity <laughs> yeah. at this, yeah, is this is the first time you've ever discovered you can get more than one thing when they pass the snacks out. You see, you're pulling all this stuff I didn't know. You're like, you can't recline your seat. That's that's been a rule for you, twenty did years. You know, you can ask for two drinks. No, like, like if you get a, if you like. If you're getting like a Coke or a Sprite or something, and they'll give you the cup, you can say, you can ask, can I have the can? Uh-huh. And then you get like three drinks out of it. Oh, okay. So let's go like best case scenario. I have a sleeping seatmate. Okay. I'm going to tell you, actually, this is the hack that you really need to do next time. Okay. I'm, I'm game. Let's hear it. If you ask, say, they're handing out snacks, you can actually say, could I have the dinner option, please? And they will go bring, they will bring you a warmed up platter. Well, I don't want to pay for it. No, you don't have to. Really? Yeah. And it's usually, they have something really good, you know, like a steak sandwich. No way. You don't have to pay for it? Yeah. Just ask them for the the steak sandwich dinner. No, you're setting me up. I can tell you're setting me up. (laughs) See, I've always, you guys, I've always had this weakness where Luke can be like, hey, do this. And I'm like, okay. And I go and do it. And then he's like, (laughs) you were totally setting me up. I was game. I was like, okay. Well, okay. Steak Sam. Okay. Yeah. I would love, I would love it if you're like, yeah, instead of that, a quinoa chocolate thing, could I get the data dinner steak sandwich, please? Oh, $49 later. So best case scenario next time, I'm going for two full cans of whatever beverage and four cookies. I'm going to try for that. Just remember this. You don't get what you don't ask for. That's true. If they can't do it, they won't do it. They'll say no. So if they say no, then say, well, what can you do? <laughs> That's a good, what can you do? Can you, I, sorry, I, I can't give you that. So well, what, what, what can, can you, you do? do? <laughs> I like it, man. This is good. This is kind of a, this podcast sort of took flight into a nice direction. Oh, yeah. All right. What do you, what do you want to talk about warranties? So this warranty stuff. Okay. Have you ever had a, a warranty deal just go totally bum? Have you had many warranty experiences? I haven't, but I think part of my problem is that every time you buy something, you have to scan four different things and fill out seven cards and send it all in. Yeah. And I, I pile it up meaning to do it and then I never do. So I, I don't know if I, even if I had a warranty, if I could, because I didn't register. You didn't register for it. <sighs> I've, I've had two. So this comes from the trucking side of the, the world. And I, I'm actually, it's not resolved yet. I'm in the middle of it. But my semi... Let me back up for a second. I'm going to tell you about my first warranty. And this, this might be a newsflash for some of you guys out there with cat engines. And I want to tell you this because right now, I can guarantee that the majority of you out there with a cat engine that have a platinum cat warranty on your engine are kind of feeling like you have the king scepter, like you have the power. So cat comes up with this warranty program called a platinum warranty. It's when you rebuild your engine. It's like the top of the top. It's the gold medallion. It's the highest of the highest. It's first class for the kings. You cannot buy a warranty package better than this. And they, they, they kind of sell it as part of the parts package that you buy 
to rebuild your engine with. There's platinum and there's like silver and whatever. But everyone always is like, get the platinum warranty, man. It's, if I remember correctly, it's been a long, long time, but it was four years, unlimited miles, I believe. So they're like, how far, how, I mean, how many miles can a guy drive in four years? So you have this four year unlimited mileage warranty on your engine and it's virtually your entire engine. There's a couple parts that, that aren't, you know, accounted for, but it's virtually the whole thing. Cause they sell you almost every part that's in your engine new. So it covers them all. So I'd bought this truck out of Las Vegas. It was the most expensive truck I'd ever purchased at that point. Actually, no, it still is. It's the most I ever paid for a semi. It was $75,000. It had been rebuilt by Caterpillar and it had this platinum warranty. So me as a young trucker buying this long nose Peterbilt, oh man, this is great. It's got a platinum warranty, nothing greater. So I buy the truck. It's got, I think it still has a year and a half left on the warranty. I bring the truck home. I start hauling cattle. Man, I'm feeling cool. It's black. I put some some sweet gray vinyl stripes on it. Just looking large, feeling like a you know great. Well, I start checking my oil as as you do regularly, and I notice that I'm starting to use some oil in this truck. Now, if you start using oil in a semi, it's in a large quantity. It's because your semi is starting to burn the oil. It's being swept up somehow into your combustion chambers of your cylinders and it's burning the oil off and that's where it's going and it's normal for a semi to use i would say very normal is from zero oil to a gallon and a half during the course of your oil change that's that's kind of your typical standard well i'm like i'm using a gallon that's weird next oil change i'm like man i i've added three gallons of oil to this truck keep going with it i'm like I'm next oil change. I'm up to like going to be adding four gallons. I'm like, this is crazy. So I'm like, no big deal. I got the platinum warranty. So I go into cat and I'm like, Hey, my truck is using like three to four gallons of oil every 12,000 miles. That's a lot of oil. And they said, ah, yeah. So about that. And I'm like, there's something wrong with my engine here. They're like, yeah, yeah. So here's what you actually got to do. And they say your your truck is not eligible for warranty coverage for oil consumption until you get about twice as bad as this. And I'm like, I got to be using like six to eight gallons of oil per oil change. You got to remember a truck holds 11 gallons. So you almost have to completely, has to burn so much mm. oil that you've almost entirely replaced the original oil in the course of those miles. And they're like, yeah, sorry. So I go to another cat place and get a second opinion. I go to the, the cat shop in Rapid City and they're like, yeah, this is, that's true. That is true. So, so here's what we would suggest you do. Obviously your truck has issues. <laughs> There's no question about that. So they give you this log book and you got to log your oil consumption. And they're like, fill this out. And once you get to this certain oil consumption, you know, marker, then you can bring it in. Give us the logbook and we'll overhaul your engine for you again under warranty. So I'm like, okay. So that oil change, I go out and I drive like an idiot. I mean, every hill, I'm just like, I mean, pedal to the metal, throwing fuel mileage completely out the window, just trying because the harder you work that engine, the more oil it's going to burn. I get it to like six, six gallons. No, no, I got to like four and a half gallons. That's what it was because I wasn't even close to the six. So I went in and I was like, guys, hi, ain't, this ain't going to work. 
And so he goes, all right, here's the deal. Again, you have problems. Just fill this thing out accordingly. Wink, wink. Fill out the paperwork properly and take it to cat and they'll, they'll do it. So I, I filled it out accordingly. I took it back to my original cat place. that's local to me and was like, all right, here's my log book. Here's all my oil. They did end up taking it apart finally, but I was only within like two months of my warranty being over. An engine overhaul from cat is 40 to $50,000. So it was a lot of money on the line. Anyway, very, I was very displeased with the hoops of the cat platinum warranty. I don't think a lot of people are aware of how stingy they may actually be. So if you have a cat platinum warranty, keep your eyes peeled. Anyway, so on to this next thing. That was just to set up my, my first warranty experience. My next one that... Or not just keep your eyes peeled. Maybe actually, yes, but go into that a little deeper is when you go to buy that warranty, read it. Make sure you understand it. Read, like read it and see what it, that it's not a, like you described, like, like, oh, there's a problem. We're going to fix it. It's like, when your problem is this bad, we'll fix it. Find out how bad your problem has to be before right. the warranty kicks in, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that, that almost turned into a really bad experience for me. So this Kenworth that I've been driving with the 60 series Detroit, that's been running great, doing good. My air compressor, all semis have an air compressor attached to the engine. So when the engine's running, the air compressor also runs because all of your braking system on a semi and your semi trailers all run off of air power. So anyway, my compressor, there's a telltale sign that your air compressor is getting bad and it's when your air compressor starts to keep this simple. Basically, there's a, there's an, there's a port that expels air and water every so often to keep your air system dry. And when that port starts spraying oil, it's called an air dryer. And when that starts squirting oil out of it, it's a sign, oh, your air compressor's wore out. Just like an engine's wore out and starts using oil, an air compressor doesn't have any flames inside its pistons. It just is pushing air. So when oil gets into that, it just pushes it out the airline and down. So you see oil in your tanks anyway. So my air compressor's going bad. No big deal. I go to the parts place. I get a genuine Detroit air compressor, remanufactured air compressor because Detroit does not sell brand new air compressors anymore. They're just too old and they just keep rebuilding the old ones. Like an engine, a very common thing. It's been around for a long time. Anyway, I, I pick up this remanufactured compressor certified from the factory, right? So I, I take it home and I actually did it myself. And it's not like a giant mechanical job, but it's one that's, you know, you're going to go to a shop and probably pay, you know, 600 bucks or something to have it done. So did it myself, was pretty proud, got it all back on. Everything worked great, worked great. After about 10,000 miles, all of a sudden, guess what? I got oil coming back out of it. And so I, I do the necessary tests and confirm that, yes, this, this new remanufactured air compressor has already gone bad. And people in trucking will tell you, the quality of remanufactured parts is getting less reliable all the time. So I'm like, well, that stinks. What should I do? It has a one-year warranty. So it's under warranty. Problem is, is all the time I took into installing it myself, I got to take it back off again, go get another one. So I, I call the parts place and I'm like, I'm going to need a new air compressor. This old one that I picked up from you guys is gone bad and I need another one. And they said, ah, they're kind of hard to get right now. We don't have any available. 
I said, okay. I said, you know, actually I had been looking around online and I found some place out in Illinois that actually is making, I don't know who makes them for them, but they offer brand new. They're not a name brand. I don't even know what they are, where they come from, but they're actually a new built air compressor. So you can get a brand new one for 20% less cost wise. So I told him, I was like, Hey, don't worry about it. I found this place in Illinois. If you don't have one readily available, I'll bring this one back. You can give me my money back and I'm going to just have this other one shipped to me and I'll put it on. And the parts guy goes, Oh yeah. Mm. After a series of grunts and groans, I'm like, what is it? He's like, so the warranty doesn't refund your money. It just replaces the one that's bad. So if you want this warranty, you have to get one from us. And I said, but you don't have one. He goes, well, yeah, but so we'll have to find one somewhere. And thankfully I wasn't in a hurry. I had a few days I was going to be home, but I'm like, so let me get this straight now. You don't have one and you can't get access to one till who knows at this point, he hadn't found one yet till who knows when. But if I want your warranty coverage, I have to wait till you find one. Cause yeah, that's, that's about the truth of it. <laughs> so I'm like, he looks and he looks and he goes, well, I found one out in Seattle, Washington. I'm like, okay, when can you have it? Oh, probably, you know, by next week. And I'm like, I can, that'll work. I can wait. But I'm still kind of torqued because I'm like, I don't want your stuff. Like, how do I know this thing, this next one's even going to work? Could go bad. So I go down and I end up getting it. And, you know, they're like, I was like, is there any labor warranty, anything for my time and my trouble? They're like, no, no. If you, if you had let us install it for you, then we would have done it again for free. But no, you're kind of on your own. So I go back down, I bring him my old one and he's like, you gotta fill out all this paperwork like you're talking about. And he's like, then they have to approve that it actually was, you know, bad. And I'm like, dude, I've got videos of it shooting on Like I, I documented it all. I got videos of puddles of oil on the ground. I took the line off and actually held a white cloth against the port and you can see it squirting oil out. He's like, yeah, so all that anyway, it has to go to them and then they'll decide. And if, if they decide on it all, we'll give you your $2,000 back. And I'm like, whoa, how do we get to $2,000? The other one I picked up was like thirteen, fourteen hundred. He's like, oh, the freight charges. And I'm like, the what? He goes, well, it costs, it costs another $200 to freight it in from Seattle. And I'm like, why are you? So I have to buy this from you guys if I want my warranty. You don't have it. You found one that I have to buy from you. You hauled it in from Seattle and you're making me pay for you guys not having it. Yeah, but he goes, but if they accept your warranty, they should. They'll probably refund you $200 of freight. So I was like, okay, all right. And every time you buy a new part, we've talked about this on the program, but every time you buy a new part, they also charge you a core charge for the old part. So that's why it was, it was like 1300 bucks mm. for the compressor, almost 400 for a core charge and then 200 more for the freight. So there's this two, th- so I've, I've got the 13, 1400, I paid for the bad one. And then I got the new one that I paid 2000 for. So now I'm like 30 some hundred dollars into these compressors waiting to hear, well, if it's all good, you'll get the 2000 back. Hmm. So anyway, warranties, man. I'm like, mm, they're just never, I don't know. They're just never what they seem. Did you happen to, I'm sh- you probably would have mentioned, did you happen to have them pull out the warranty paperwork and show you where they charge you for the shipping? No, because it was a gray area, they said. 
it's actually like a third party freightliner has to approve the freight or whatever. And he goes, they should. It, it usually always, I'm like, usually you can't have this happen all the time. Like this has got to be a fairly rare circumstance, but mm. I don't know. How much was the new compressor? The one they, that I couldn't buy? 850 bucks. Huh. Which in the trucking world seems like free. Like if you can get anything for under a thousand dollars, you feel like, man, that's a heck of a deal. And I don't know if the other one is even any good. Mm. You know, there's no name thing, but I was ready to try it. Maybe, maybe you should get it anyway. Just to have, have one on the shelf. Yeah, I probably should. And then they don't do cores either. They're just like, no, it's just 850 bucks. That's that. Here you go. Just this course that I was taking down in Arizona, uh-huh. the sometimes in dentistry, you do intraoral pictures to show people things going on in their mouth. Intraoral means inside, inside the mouth. Inside the mouth, okay. yeah. So you have this kind of a wand that goes in the mouth and you can get these intraoral cameras that are pretty expensive, you know, pretty high end. They don't seem to do a whole lot better than really cheap ones. And he goes, he said, I found this one now. He goes, we literally throw them away when they quit working and just grab another one out of the closet. Really? <laughs> The, the cost of going through all the warranties and the hassle of the real high end ones if they aren't working. He, he's so it's not an $800 compressor might be the same thing. Well, yeah, and it I've got, doesn't throw it away. I think you're right. I've got in a new one. I've got another semi that, that uses the same compressor. So why not? Huh? <laughs> but also to have that on hand, if you, if this one, your other one goes bad and they can't find another one on the warranty, you've got one sitting on the shelf. It's just sitting there, yeah. Like, it's cheap, cheap insurance. You know, I had my shop. I've got a wash bay and stuff inside my shop and things in there that can't freeze. Like it, meaning like I can't afford for that to freeze. So this was two winters ago. I, of course, I get home from a trip and I walk into my shop and it's just a little bit chilly. Oh, and I just immediately am I'm sick because I have a tankless water heater that runs the hot water for my pressure washer system. And it's all complete. I mean, everything is just froze, froze. And I'm just like, it's a $6,000 wash setup and a $2,500. I mean, it costs like about 8,000 to set the whole system up, but I want like a good, I can clean my engines off. I can wash my truck. Well worth it, but it's all just froze and i see a few of the brass lines you know have ruptured and i can see i'm like well that's probably an easy fix but i'm looking at this tankless water heater going i don't even want to know what's inside there that's frozen so after it all we got the heater going and i i thaw everything out and i started and it's just like water's like just squirting out of everything and i'm like huh we were able to rebuild the water heater for i don't know it was several hundred dollars and somehow the the pressure washers pump survived it all but I've since learned how if we get a big cold streak coming, I've learned how to use the air hose and winterize in like five minutes. I can blow all the water out of the whole system. So it's just empty when it's 20 below zero. And I just don't use it for a week or 10 days. But anyway, the cause of the freeze was that the thermostat on the wall that runs the propane furnace was faulty. It's just a little like a little Honeywell. Mm. So I talked to my propane company and I'm like, do you guys, is there, do you have any insurance for anything like this? I mean, is your system, your stuff you sell, does this Honeywell? And he goes, actually the, the company, and I don't remember if it was Honeywell that makes the, whoever it was that made the thermostat, he goes, they do actually have a warranty coverage for all this kind of stuff that we kind of do in conjunction with them. And he goes, but it's only, I think it was, a, it was a six month warranty or something like that. And I was like, oh. He goes, it's a year old thermostat. We put it in last year for you. So 
yeah, you're on your own, you know. And I get to think of him. I was like, how much is a thermostat? He's like, oh, they're like $34. And I'm like, should I just put a new one on every six months? Just <laughs> every winter, just before the winter, just to have the coverage? He's like, you know, I never thought of that. But for $34, it's probably worth it. <laughs> I think they had like $100,000 worth of damage coverage or something like that. Oh, man. <laughs> I was like, there you go. Not a bad idea. So that yeah, when you said that about those those intraoral scopes, that made me think of that. Yeah, sometimes you sometimes you figure out what's what's going on in your space and go, man, like, just replace it. It is so wasteful, but it's like, well, that's how they set it up. I mean, yeah. what are you gonna do? I mean, the the implications are so in your case. Yeah, think of that waste. I mean, the implications are are so much that. Yeah, yeah you just you can't so. <laughs> warranties anyway i got the new compressor I mean, on that's um, even to replace the thermostat you my family we we eat at mcdonald's sometimes the only thing we get there is cheeseburgers and we just eat the the patty and the cheese we don't have the bun uh-huh. and my family now i think we're at about 34 dollars a visit just for <laughs> Every, cheese. yeah like so you're talking about one time out with your family <laughs> Yeah, that's true. To you replace look at it that, that way. to to have a, a pretty cheap cheap insurance. Yeah, on that. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Something I wanted. To, we got an email from someone who was talking about driving some flatbed, hauling some cattle, and then has a hopper. And his dispatcher or his broker, whoever he's working with, getting him loads, isn't finding him any loads. And he reached out and asked if you have anyone specific that you think does a great job, or you have any advice on how do you how do you get dialed in with someone that's going to keep you busy? Mm. I don't know if that's something that you need a little more time thinking about. If it's something you want to answer them directly, or if you have some stuff on here that broker issues. Yeah, I actually have a broker issue I want to talk about in a second. This will lead into it, but let me talk about this one. That's hard. That's a hard one. If you have a broker that you've been working with, so in a nutshell for you out there, if, if you're listening, you're not familiar with truckers, a broker is basically an intermediary between you and the source of the load. So somebody has a bunch of loads to move. They need to get access to multiple, multiple semis weekly. Instead of calling one person, they'll call a broker and say, hey, I've got, I need to lo- move 20 loads a week. Can you call your truckers and get them lined up to haul my loads? Broker says, yep. Broker calls all these different little truckers and says, hey, here's these loads. Let's move them. And for his time and trouble, the broker will charge an amount, usually eight to 12% of the, the load's revenue. And one, one quick misconception that I'll put out there, and this isn't all brokers. There are some lazy, worthless brokers out there, but everyone, I hear this all the time. And I have a different perspective on this because I run, I lease out cow trailers. So I know what brokers go through. Everyone says, oh, brokers get paid way too much. All they do is make a couple phone calls and that's it. And there are some instances where what they're saying is correct. But typically that is not the case. It's not, I called this guy. I called that guy. Give me my $150. It's like so much garbage you deal with in between here and there. (laughs) It's just not fair or accurate to just say, ah, they're getting all this money for making a couple phone calls. I've just with my little fleet of, you know, it's been anywhere from three to seven cow trailers, three to nine cow trailers at a time. I have days where I I don't ever get off the phone. It's just constant. And it's, it's not fun. It's not nice to just sit on the phone the entire day 
along with trying to function yourself during the course of that day. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there about brokers a little bit. Okay. I want to ask some questions about this mm-hmm. as well for my, for my own. First off, do you use brokers? I do. I do. Someone. Because Jackson will periodically hook on his hopper trailer mm-hmm. and he will go out for a couple of weeks. And you're from here to South Dakota to Wisconsin to New York to Portland to, and you're, you're shooting all, all over from one mm-hmm. spot to the next and you, you just kind of do a big trip. Yep. Do you use brokers in those situations? I use a broker. One broker. Singular. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend using multiple brokers. This is where you start to get into all these problems. Before we get into that, let me ask a couple more questions. When you are dealing directly, the buyer and the seller and the trucker, Mm -hmm. let's say that it's just very simple. The the seller or the buyer contacts you and says, I have this load. Are you negotiating how much they're paying you? Or do you say, this is my fee? Or do you do do any negotiation with? With cattle, cattle always kind of just have a set rate which okay. just follows fuel and everybody within 20 or 30 cents a mile is in that same zone okay so that's kind of a general yeah okay mm-hmm. for cattle for other stuff do you yeah you you will end up having to negotiate a little more because oh it just it depends where the product is at if you have to drive there empty to go get it okay you know a lot of that factors so in. that's it that's you dealing directly not through a broker so i'm talking about right okay so if you have a broker now who's who's the one dealing with the two parties and you Mm -hmm. does the broker negotiate he does all that stuff all i gotta do is he says go to such and such and negotiate with the broker or does you or does the broker just have a or do you have a set rate the broker knows jackson won't do it for less than this the guy that i use i've come to trust when he he'll send you a load that's that's maybe not great and most you want you want loads to be good you have the majority of your loads should be good, just good loads. Like that's good. And that works. That's satisfactory. You'll have a few loads that are home runs and as many home runs as you have, you'll have some that are not great loads. And that's part of, you know, when you're trying to put a yeah, big, making trip. a big loop, you're going to have some legs that just aren't as great. My guy knows he, he, he wouldn't, he won't even he'd be like, this is all I got. What do you think of that? And you'd be like, yeah, that's not very good. I'd rather just, I'd rather just drive empty some other direction if gotcha. that would help. Does your broker pay you or do you, or who pays you? Yeah. The broker company pays me. Okay. So the broker collects the whole, he does all the bookkeeping. Yeah. So, so the, the buyer usually pays the shipping. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's assume, so the, the buyer pays the broker. Yep. And then the broker pays you minus a commission essentially. Right. And it's another thing. Unless you've ever been stuck and not been paid for a load of two, three, four, five thousand dollar load, that's another thing that a good brokerage you're going to get paid regardless. So they do have to do the trouble of collecting from you know the people that contract their services. And something you don't have to do as a driver if you're using a broker, you don't have to make phone calls. You don't have to track money down. They do all of that. And if you've ever dealt with having to do that on a big scale, and we're not, I'm not a big scale by any means, but it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work. So do you sign a contract with your broker then? This guy that I'm with, no. It's, it's, I mean, when you take the load, you contract it for individual loads under their terms of you know, payment and whatnot. I gotcha. So when you act as a broker, 
and when you do it, this is when and during the cattle hauling season, you do loads for yourself mm-hmm. where you have buyers that you're doing loads, but you also have other trailers that you have people driving for you. Right. And so you are putting their loads together for them. Right. Telling them pick up here and deliver here. Mm-hmm. And then you pay the drivers. Right. Minus a commission. Yeah. I pay the, yeah, they call them the owner operators. Yeah. I pay the owner operator. Minus the I sixteen percent for the trailer and for the load. So okay, so if you actually go through and talk about you in a broker capacity, the things you deal with. I've got a few funny stories. Let's I have do to it. Be careful let's, with. Well, let's um, <laughs> let's say it from the driver dealing with the drivers. What are you dealing with as a broker? You're dealing with eight different angry, sleepy, tired truckers that know they need to be out there because they need the money need to make a living but at the same time you're all kind of over it mm-hmm. <laughs> hauling cattle you're like eh. but you're dealing with where they're at where they're going what they're doing and you're also dealing with how their truck is running if if they have a breakdown if they have issues you're the one kind of ultimately responsible to fix it so a load of, a loaded cow truck breaks down i don't just tell the trucker like well i don't know figure it out Get someone to hook onto that trailer because I'm the one that took the load. I'm the one responsible for the load. So I'm the one that has to bear the burden of, I got to find a truck to come rescue this thing. And I've got to do it within the next three or four hours. And so you got to start making phone calls and, and going wild. So there's that responsibility. And then, you, you know, you have in the fall, we usually run nine between my lease trailers and a few guys that I've like dispatch. We'll have nine cow trucks, including myself. And so you have nine cow trucks making three loads a week. It's a lot of numbers and invoicing and a lot of checks coming in that you got to rewrite and get pushed back out in a timely fashion. There's quite a business to it. It's not, it's definitely not I made a few phone calls and got my, my money. And in my case, you're responsible for the trailers functioning and working properly as well. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm just trying to really outline what brokers do mm-hmm. and that it's it is not just a couple phone calls you're you know if the the person if you're the, the driver that's supposed to be at the ranch or the yard to pick up a load of this time isn't there who are they calling they're not calling the driver <laughs> they're calling me yeah the, the broker is the one where's your truck yeah. and i gotta and if if they're vanished if they're broke down somewhere with no service <laughs> They don't care. They're like, you said you'd have a truck here. Where's your truck? Yeah. And so, I mean, and then your business is on the line. Okay. So uh, back to the, to that question of, it sounds like he's not pleased with his hopper broker getting, you know, enough loads for him. The thing you got to realize, I was supposed to go out last week and go trucking and there just wasn't any good loads. So we didn't go. There's good, there's times and we're entering that time. We're getting into it. Trucking's going to get a little tight here the next period the next while with all this overinflation of equipment costs and now the freight numbers are just really grinding grinding slow it's hard times coming and in those hard times with that is just the realization that like i have a great broker and he's good enough to say don't come out <laughs> I, I don't come out this week just stay home you might as well stay home it's not going to be worth your time to come out because the just not stuff going on out here. You know, maybe that's a sign of a good broker, I guess. If if they'll be honest with you and tell you when things are just not looking great, you're probably better off to, you know, spend a week working on your truck or 
you know, look elsewhere, but I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't really want to say who I use or what I do, I guess in part because I've never talked to them about if they want that. And also it's kind of when you have a good thing, you got to kind of keep it close. <laughs> There's a lot of good companies. I guess my main point of the broker thing, and hopefully this will help answer this question a little bit is try to get tied in with a broker, not dealing with load boards and multiple brokers. If I had to deal with a new company to every town I got to get to another load, I just, there's no way I could it'd be mentally and just way too much to, to deal with. So it's nice to just have a broker that I can call and say, all right, I'm yours for the next 12 days. Send me, just follow the money trail. Just send me around to wherever fits and works. And they kind of like my guy will be like, all right, here's what I got for you from here to here to here. It's going to be this much a running mile and all your miles. I already figured it up. Is that acceptable? And then at that point, I got to decide, well, yeah, no, that works great. So anyway, how'd you find your broker? From a friend. Just referral. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, man, I got this, this guy. And partic in particular, we kind of got hooked up because we were cow haulers. And this particular guy really likes old cow haulers because... <laughs> Sometimes when you got to do the old overnight delivery with mm -hmm. the hopper, he knows his cow guys can kind of make that work. So, and then we run hard for him. And when we're out there, we really rock and roll and, and he likes that. And so we stick with it. So in the broker vein, now let me, let me talk about this one other thing. There was a big truck show this last, I think it's been maybe 10 days ago now. There's a big truckville, <laughs> truckville. There's a big truck show in Louisville. Kentucky. It kind of kicks off. It's every year. It's, it's like the equivalent in NASCAR of the Daytona 500. It's opening weekend in baseball. It's, it's Louisville and it's the first big like truck show of the season. And there's like, there's like three or four kind of big major ones around the country. And this is one of them. And big enough that it actually draws, they have speakers, they have forums where they bring in some of the government regulators from the FMCSA and they do like a, like a forum where they kind of field questions or ask for comments about certain things. And one of the things really caught my eye, kind of made me perk up one of the subjects that the, that the FMCSA threw out to the truckers that were at this show and it was concerning brokers. And essentially they said, do you all feel like there should be laws put in place that put a cap on how much a broker is allowed to make or, you know, some such governing rules to that effect? Would you like to see that happen to the brokers? And all the articles that I've read and everything that I could find all reported that there was a unanimous uproar, torches and pitchforks of the owner operator saying, yes, govern these brokers and put your thumb on them. And absolutely, they're, they're out there ripping us off. And, and where this comes from is that, okay, so brokers get the loads from the source. And it's, they're free to then turn around and put those loads out as an offering to the truckers and say, here's these loads going from here to here, and this is what it pays. 
And truckers have to look at that and go, I will do that load. Sign me up. Or they have to look at that load and go, that sucks. I'm not doing it. But nobody will do the latter. Like nobody will do that. And there's a lot of reasons why. It's probably a whole nother podcast episode of just some unbelievable financial irresponsibility that leads to truckers having to say yes to all these, bro- these terrible broker loads. But there's been some instances, and I've had it before. I hauled trees one time from Idaho to Wyoming, like out of a nursery. And I called this brokerage and the, the rate was great. It was plenty. And I was like, sign me up. I'll do it. So I called the place to, uh, I think the, the stipulation was I needed a special net. It's called a tree net for my flatbed. So I called the place to make sure that when I loaded, they would have one available that I could, that I could buy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, through the course of our conversation, they said, they told me what their rate was, what they were paying. And I was like, oh, you're paying $4 on these loads? The broker has it out there at $3. They were taking a dollar a mile off this 600 mile run. Granted, they were buying my, the broker was paying for the tree tarp, kind of as a sweet in the pot thing. So they're taking a dollar a mile, paying two, 300 bucks for my tree tarp and they're pocketing, you know, the rest, 700 bucks for this particular load. And the, the nursery was like, man, that, that seems like a lot. And I look at it and go, yeah, that was a lot. But that, in my mind, that doesn't matter. The rate that they offered me from where I was going and where I needed to be and where I was at, it worked really well because I'd already got paid a ton to be there and it was fine. So I didn't really care what this was being offered at. I just knew that the rate they offered me worked and it worked well and it got me really close to being to where I was home. So I took it and I did it. Now, hearing that all these owner operators (laughs) unanimously pounded the tables and foamed at the mouth, crying for government to step in and squash these brokers really disgusted me. And that's not going to be a popular take on this particular issue. But I equate it to, do you ever remember playing with your friends and uh, you know, you're, you're out, you're, you're away from the house or playing with your brothers or whatever. And eh, this happened to me because I would do it with my older cousins we'd be roughhousing or whatever. And I was the littlest. And so I got kind of roughhoused a little too much. And they're like, Oh, get up. You're fine. And I was like, I'm telling mom. And I run back to the house, all tears in my face. And I'm like, mom, they pushed me down too hard. And then they all come in and they all get in trouble for it. Right. Like shouldn't be playing so hard. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I felt like this is the same thing. I'm like, Another, another instance I'll relay was, I remember in high school government class, of course, small farming town in Montana, obvious, an obvious conservative place. We're in government class and our teacher was really good at playing devil advocate. And so he's like, all right, who in here is for less taxes? Do you want to, you all earned a hundred dollars last week, irrigating. Do you want to give $25 of that to the government? And of course, a bunch of high school sophomores are like, no, we want to keep our money, right? Yeah. And he put it in very basic terms. It was like all these, you know, these conservative points that he kept pushing that were very obvious to like, yeah, no, I'm, I support that. And then he goes, how many of you guys want to legalize marijuana next year? And the entire class was like, yes, <laughs> they all were for it. And I remember that that was the first time where I actually looked at something and went, 
wait a minute. You guys did all, you said yes to all these conservative things. And then they throw out this one progressive thing and you all jump. You just forgot about all this other stuff and you just jumped on the wagon. These owner operators, myself included, how many times have I been on the podcast this past year talking about rules and governance and regulations that drive me nuts? None of us, we all want to be free. That was the whole point of being an owner operator versus a company driver is freedom. You are your own guy. You don't have to answer to a certain set of rules. It's, it's you. Like You can go out and tackle the road and you can do what you please. That's why we became owner operators. We don't like e-logs. We don't want speed mandates. We don't all this stuff. And then when the government goes, should we take some regulations and put them on the brokers? All of them are just like, yes. Just like all my classmates that were like, weed. <laughs> I'm like, you can't, hold on. I know, I know that you guys are getting ripped in some of these broker situations. But can we not fix the problem ourselves? Do we need someone to step in? Do we need to go running to mom as a child and say, my brother beat me up? Can we not take care of things on our own? Why? Let's do it. Let's take, we don't, you don't need that. That's opening the door for things that you've decried for years. But when the tables are turned a little bit, you're like, no, come on, come in, come in, regulate these guys, regulate them. How about when a broker puts a load out that's garbage, you don't take the load. If you don't take the load, how's a broker going to have any money? They're not. Okay. So in that way, if truckers could just be smarter, if owner operators could be smarter that way, they would not take these terrible broker loads. The terrible brokers would go out of business and nobody has to deal with them anymore. Instead, they're like, no, no, regulate. It was just, it really disappointed me. I can see that. Yeah, it was interesting. So, and it's not, on the surface, I mean, you have to think, you have to think second layer deep about it because on the surface, you're like, yeah, we should have to brokers. Yeah. They shouldn't be allowed to rip us off, but I just, I don't agree. I think truckers need to be smarter and need to put themselves in a position that they can just run poor brokers out of business if they want. So I, I saw an article. I'm trying to remember what, why, where, why I saw this. It was working on, on passing legislation that would would cap or, or something with the brokers. I'm sure it's the same thing it was we're probably, talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The article I was reading was talking about in particular with through COVID, there were a lot of trucking rates that got really jacked up and brokers made a bunch of money instead of passing this on to the truckers. So that's where this article was coming from particularly. But it said that right now, by law, brokers have to disclose how much the load is and how much they're taking from it. Not that I'm aware of. Well, this article said by law it does, but, and this is why I asked if you sign a contract with yours, is a lot of brokers in the contract with the truckers put a rider or an exclusion in that contract that says the trucker, that they don't have to disclose to the trucker what the, at all of it is. Mm. So they, they, they get around that rule by doing that. Which again is. You sign the, you sign the contract. If brokers are, I mean, if truckers are signing that contract you know, then you're giving away what you kind of want to know. Mm-hmm. See, and, there, and there's ways around it, you guys. That, that's the thing. You're like, well, how do, how do you survive? If, if I don't want a brokers, you know, multiple brokers in my life, how do you survive? Well, get a pool of you and your five trucking buddies together so you have a little power. 
and go to a place that gives a lot of loads and say, hey, I'm so-and-so and me and my five buddies, we all live here locally and we all would like to, we'd like to push your product out of here. Can we come to terms that would work? We're local, we're owner operators, take good care, you know, we'll give you a way higher level of service than a big brokerage can offer you. And, and think outside the box a little bit and get with the company, take those loads out and then just use a broker to get back home. You know, there's ways that you can do this, but it, it so much disappoints me to just see everyone just kind of tap out, wave the white flag and say, no, come in, come, come take care of these guys. I don't like it. Yeah. So just, just be aware, be smart. I completely hear what you're saying. Just don't take the load. Don't take the load. It's not, don't take the load. Well, I have to take it. Why do you have to take the load? You don't have to take a load that is junk. It doesn't do anything for you. Like all you're doing is paying them all that money. You're mad at them. You're mad that they're getting all this money. And yet you're the one taking the load that allows them to get paid. Don't take the load. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we might have to come back on this, I think, on it some more. Yeah, chew on it some. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting world. I have some brokers that are dear friends. In fact, I have one that we should have on the show sometime. She's great. We've become friends over the last several years, and she does a great job. My, my guy that does my hoppers, very honest, very upright, does a great job, shoots square, everything's above board. There are a lot of great brokers out there. So be aware of that. And be aware that the power is in your hand to to do as you please. Say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, man. I think we're out of time. Right on. Last I'll say is we are trying out some new cameras. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how see what people think. That. Yeah. Hey, I got a big announcement for next podcast too. What's that? I want to save it, but we have a summertime announcement. Something special coming up at the end of June pretty exciting gonna be fun gonna be a lot of fun something we've never done before that we're gonna do why don't you save it for the next one at the beginning of the episode for anyone that yeah we'll that we that. bore <laughs> we bore to death after 20 minutes <laughs> perfect all right everyone you guys take care until next time hopefully it's not hope we don't miss another one no nah, no nah, got it we're getting there all right <laughs>